Welcome, welcome to another show of Oz Coaching King Soccer Podcast Show. We are here. Oh, yes. Oz and Kerry. Oh, yes. A weekly football podcast, and we are back, everyone. How are you, Kerry? I'm doing all right, man. Doing a okay. A little tired, but. Tired? Yeah, a little bit. But... I mean, you're allowed to be tired. You go always to bed pretty late, man. Like, when Often. do you go to bed? Yeah, let me guess. Although, right, let yes. me guess. You go around. 1.30 a.m. to 2 a.m. That's actually... Yeah, that's true. That's actually early for me. Is it early? Yeah. So there's a lot of FIFA playing going on. <laughs> a lot of searching on Google on... Careful now. ...videos and pictures. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, at times. But over the summer, it would be much later than that. 4 or 5 a.m. Since if I have nothing to do the next day, then yeah, I'm going to stay up for as long as I can. You're kind of like me. You're like a night owl. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I like to go to bed pretty late too uh, even though late for you is probably like one mm, yeah uh, you know it's actually not late but it's almost like i'm forced to go to bed at that time you know what i mean i need yeah. to get up early too we're back and there is something we need to address i feel like there is something very important that goes on all the newspapers are ta- writing it all the tv stations new networks are talking about it and social media is going crazy and i feel like sports are under attack and we are kind of under attack and as two guys that work within sports and have this platform that we do i think it's important for us to speak about it and kind of speak about it and express how we feel basically i'm talking about the latest that goes on within uh, the White House and mm. Steph Curry and the NFL mm. debate. Mm. What what do you know? To be honest, not a whole lot. I honestly, just me personally, I don't, I don't uh, keep up with a lot of news that's not soccer related. But you're right; it has been been making a good bit of, of headlines, I suppose. So, and this is not the first time this has happened, by the way. But there has been some controversy over things like players attending the white house yeah um, which has been a tradition uh for sports teams in this country to go visit the white house and also the topic of kneeling or standing during national anthems uh has been being being under the microscope again so totally again right yeah totally and uh i mean it started kind of like on friday and when steph curry in an interview and Steph Curry, for people that might not know, is two times MVP champion for Golden State Warriors and won the NBA championship as well with the team. Curry kind of went out and said that he was inclined to go to the White House, um, which is a tradition that championship teams are going. Right. And he didn't really want to do it, like he was inclined to do it. And when the president, Donald Trump, heard this, the, other, the next day he went out and tweeted this. Going to the White House is considered a great honor for a championship team. Steph, Stephen Curry is hesitating, therefore, invitation is withdrawn. I mean, this guy uh, withdrawn the, the invitation before even the Golden State team said, no, we're not going to come. You know what I mean? And this became a big debate. Then, uh, you know, uh, other sports athletes such as LeBron James 
got into the d- discussion too. And uh, LeBron James and LeBron James. And keep in mind, LeBron James have like thirty eight point five million followers on Twitter, right? Right. And he tweet tweeted, and I'm not kidding. He said, "You bum." <laughs> Stephen Curry already said he ain't going, so therefore ain't no invite. Going to White House was a great honor until you showed up, and you <laughs> and uh, you know. I'm sorry. Did you say you bum? You yeah, bum. I love that. <laughs> look, <laughs> look. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, strong language. Really, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, the reason kind of like this have come back into it is um, that Donald Trump is throughout his campaign he's been dividing dividing the people dividing um, the American uh, ideology basically you know and uh, players like Stephen Curry and uh, LeBron James feeling like don't come and try to divide what sports means mm. You know, don't come with your politics into the sports. Like sports, it's sacred. Everybody in a team, in an organization, and the fans, when they came to the games and the stadium, they're all there for the love of the game and love of the sport. And sports has such a power to unite. So don't come in and try to disrupt this. And when you're doing it, when you're trying to do it, then we're going to use our platform and our voice to get it heard. Yeah. A lot of people like Colin Kaepernick way back when and uh, even more teams now. The entire, I think, Dallas Cowboys team recently in an NFL game kneeled during the, for a bit during the national anthem. So that's just a way that, that athletes can use their profession as a as a platform to you know make their views heard. And you're right. We don't want politics to to come in between sports too much and to divide people because sports is something i've always considered sports is something that unites people and you know you may have your i like this player i like this player or i like this team i'm mm-hmm. not that team and mm-hmm. the rivalries whatnot but ultimately i think sports is something that brings people together and uh it's good if it's good if it stays that way and if politics which isn't I don't want I'm not a political person so I don't want to say politics is bad right but, right, right. but uh, it's good if the two I think remain separate from each other uh, yeah no it's uh, especially if you look at what all the sports teams are doing other than just playing the sport right mm. um, they have charity work they have donations they have different community works they have camps. You know, they do so much for the city and the community and the people itself. So when the president of the United States, like we're talking about the president, goes out in a rally in Alabama and speaks publicly like this, of course, there's going to be reactions. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag? To say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now. Out. He's fired. He's fired.
<laughs> Are you kidding me? Seriously though, you know, like seriously, like uh, he 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 talks about the the players that kneels down and um, or sits down at, during the national anthem don't respect the flag, the military, the veterans. Yeah, and this all basically started when Colin Kaepernick kneeled down during national anthem to. Exp- to have a silent protest about the injustice in this country with police brutality to black people and minorities. And now this has grown into a debate about if you kneel down or sit down during national anthem, that if you don't respect the flag, then you're basically against what United States of America is standing for. He has come to that level. And what we forget is the core issue that this really happened. And this has escalated something totally different. We're not even talking about these issues and the situation that is going on in the different communities and with the police brutality. The core issue that Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. tried to raise. He has point. come to really totally different points. Point, yeah. yeah, I think that's... You make a good point. Not much more I have to say, really. Just, uh, I mean, why do you think it's happening? I mean, seriously, when I went and worked at CNN and I translated a few of these political statements that was made by, you know, Turkish officials, I realized that every statement you make, it's big. You know what I mean? It means that word mm-hmm. will have action. And I realized even then that there's so much distractions going on from the real issues that are going behind the doors. You know what I mean? Like, this is just a distraction for everybody in the mainstream media, on social media, to talk about and forget really what's going on. Like, there is no healthcare plan in front of us. Like, millions of people are going to be without healthcare. And the worst thing is what he said about North Korea at the UN. And uh, I know that you know, I'm not sure exactly what the Swedish people, the European people think, but it's still that kind of un- understanding of like, no way he said, did he really say it? What's wrong with him? Mm. You know, like not really taking it serious. But I want you to for once, right? I want you to for once, listen carefully and take this message that he said at the UN seriously. Like, listen to it and think about that it's serious. And it's very short period of time that this really can happen. No nation on earth has an interest in seeing this band of criminals arm itself with nuclear weapons and missiles. The United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. The United States is ready, willing, and able. But hopefully, this will not be necessary. That's what the United Nations is all about. That's what the United Nations is for. Let's see how they do. You know, I don't want to delude our beautiful podcast and this 
good time when we come together to talk about but i really felt like we are here to spread the word of love and we do it through talking about football what would we done if we got a letter that what we do what would we do like if we got invited to the white house us yeah what will yeah like uh Allah, like Steph curry or or these other teams exactly players like we got an invitation to come to the white house and shake the president's hand you well, go first i go first yeah i mean we definitely need to have a statement you know we need to have a statement okay i feel like let's um have our press conference Okay. Okay. Let's Mm -hmm. have a press conference. We can have press conference. Let's imagine. Imagine press conference. A lot of cameras, noises, and everyone are expecting us to speak about our decision if we will go or not. Okay. Okay. Thank you everyone for coming here today. We appreciate that you took the time. And uh, yes, it's true. We got an invitation to come to the White House to meet with the President of the United States. It's a great honor to be invited. However, um, politely, I decline. I decline for many reasons. And I want to express why I decline it. I decline it because I believe that president, the President of the United States doesn't have me or my or my views as priority several times he has been offending immigrants muslims mexicans and even even starts attacking on sports he has notoriously not condemned white supremacists nazis and even in the march in charlottesville that we all saw what happened I believe that this president of the United States have a very divisive ideology that we are not standing for. And with that said, I will never step my foot into the White House and shake his hand until I see the discussions, the conversations and improvement in our communities and that the police brutality against our black communities and black people will stop even the latinos and everyone that have a hard time to find a job that we all get the fair chance to live and pursue the happiness that we want and until then until we get a leader that represents what united states of america is a land of free and the home of the brave i will knee down at the national anthems and i will not go to the white house until we have the right leader um and that's my personal view and uh, and I believe what we do at Oscar and King Soccer Podcast Show is to spread love 
and we're gonna keep continue doing it and if we can keep our voice heard we will continue to do that as well i agree with uh much of others sentiments and i agree that it is such a, such a nice honor to be invited to the white house uh which really is a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of people um including myself i w- must say that i also will decline my invitation not necessarily for the the deeper reasons yeah very i think true reasons that Ozzy stated but just me personally not being a super political guy or someone that's interested in the white house and his dealings or the president's and his either his views or just the and this isn't necessarily just to say with president trump either but me being someone that would rather doesn't i don't feel like that's my sort of place to be so for that reason i too will decline I'd much rather stay at home <laughs> think about the podcast <laughs> and uh watch the beautiful game that i think divide that <laughs> watch the beautiful game that i think unites us all and uh focus on that that's why we're here a good mix now let's enjoy uh, another episode of the oscotch and king soccer podcast show this weekend most of the big clubs did their job. Oh yeah. They did what uh, they're supposed to do. And what is that, Kerry? Win. Win. Three points on the Three board. points. Do your job. Even Atlanta United did that. <laughs> they did. They, what what was their score? 2-0 over the impact. Exactly. But across Europe, you're right. They they most of the notice we did say most, but <laughs> most of the big teams did win in in uh and won well, I think. I, if they didn't win well, just the fact that they won. Like, Manchester United, didn't, their game was actually rather boring. But it was a classic Jose Mourinho game. But, you know, it's what you have to do sometimes. Grind out results to get points. Manchester City were utterly dominant. Arsenal played well. Liverpool won, even though it was a crazy, hectic sort of game. True, yeah. Real Madrid, Barcelona all won com- uh, relatively comfortably. Real Madrid not so much, actually, but... <laughs> But they did the job, right? Exactly. They all did the job. And I feel like Premier League this year have really got the strikers. Mm. It kind of reminds me of the back old days, you know, when you had Ronaldo, Rooney, Van Persie. Even earlier than that, right? Rooney, Funny Story, yeah. Thierry Henry. Like you know, you knew that you knew that these strikers they will deliver. They will give you the goals. Twenty five goals at least. At least, yeah. at least. This year has been six games total, and so far it's been six games in Premier League. And if you look at the top scorers, right, you really want these striker in each team to deliver. Right. So if we look at this table, we you have three players on the number one spot. They're sharing. They mm-hmm. have scored a total of six goals. All right, you have Sergio Aguero, Alvaro Morata, and Romelu Lukaku. And this is why these teams bought them for. Yeah, yeah, that's what you expect from from your main strikers. Even you know, just one or two goals behind them, you still have 
your main strikers, your main goal scorers delivering. Harry Kane uh, scored this weekend. Uh, Lacazette scored this weekend. Two goals. Two goals as well. Uh, Jamie Vardy scored this weekend, I think. Yeah, he yeah. did. Um, so, I mean, it seems all the top clubs at the moment, the big clubs, Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, uh, uh, even Leicester, right? Tottenham as well. Yeah. Uh, they're getting the most out of their big strikers. And a lot of them are, are new, aren't they? I mean, um, Chelsea just bought Morata this summer. Arsenal just bought Lacazette this yeah. summer. And instantly you're getting bang for your buck. That's why I was a little bit disappointed that Wenger didn't let Lacazette play the full game so he could ex- so he could get a hat-trick. You he know? was hungry. He was hungry. He got the two goals. He was hungry for a third, I could tell. He, yeah, totally. And, you know... I wouldn't. I would keep him on the field, to be honest with you. But I mean, it's nice. I guess Arsenal winning, uh, what two zero, relatively comfortably. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that comes off and he gets the applause from the fans. If that means anything, I'm sure he'd rather have the hat trick, maybe. But <laughs> still, but it's nice to have this type of top scorer race. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a different type of competition, and it's exciting to follow. You know, and I, and it's gonna be nice and really. It's going to be nice to see if they can continue this throughout the season. Usually if you have a striker, right, that keeps scoring goals for the team, yeah, you know that that team will be very competitive. They might even win trophies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And each team really needs a striker that is really that talented. That's what been everybody been saying, right? Arsenal have never really replaced Thierry Henry. Right. Or when Van Persie left, Arsenal didn't really have anyone to rely on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you always look at teams like Real Madrid. They have, they even had Gonzalo Higuain and Benzema at the same time. Yeah. For a while, they had Ronaldo, Nistelrooy playing at the same time. You know what I mean? Uh, so. It's very important that each team has a very good striker. The sort of strikers that are consistent. Mm. That's, I mean, just using Arsenal example, I think consistency is the real problem. But every team, usually title-winning team or title-challenging team, has that sort of guy like Van Nistelrooy or, or, or Henri or whoever, Alan Shearer even, right. that week in, week out would do... You knew they would do whatever it takes to get the ball in the back of the net. That's all they cared about. All they care about, That's man. All the team cared yeah. about. No, it's going to be pretty, but some way, somehow, they're going to get the ball into the net. So we know kind of now how it is in Premier League, right? We already know how it looks like in La Liga in Spain. But who are the top scorers in Italy? So your usual suspects, you know, you've got the Iguain, uh Dybala, who's been on fire this season. Um, you have Mauro Icardi. Mm. You have those front three at Napoli. Who really not an out and out striker, but you know those three are going to get goals out of those three. They kind of rotate it and share it around. They do. I mean, before you had like, you know, I want to really say like, yeah, you had a two Diego Milito. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember times with Ibrahimovic, Shevchenko, Christian Vieri. Um, David Trezeguet, Del Piero, Francesco Totti, Aqua Fresca. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I've got one. Di Natale. Mm, good one. That's Thank a you. good one. Yeah. I was going to say people in Zaghi. Oh, I take his brother, man. 
Simeone is back in. score? Yeah, he scored some. Yeah. I'm a, you also have, uh, if you go back in the time, you have, um, you know, I got some eye. Or the second one. I have one. Yeah, just one. You have Ronaldo. Mm, nice. George Weah. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, you also had a player like. <laughs> <laughs> I got one. You do? Yeah. It's a bit earlier than that, but... Yeah, so and then you have Van Basten. That was a good one. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Try to find another one. Uh, yeah, say one more. Roberto Baggio. Oh, yeah, man. Good. The legend. Yeah, totally. Totally. You did it good. <laughs> Congrats. Well done. Well done. But... Who was the first one? The first... The first one was... Like, among the first one. The first big, massive, top scorer in Syria and Italy. Who was it? Giuseppe Miazza. Keep in mind, he mentions all these players, all these top strikers. And when you think of Syria, you think of Italian soccer and the national team. What's one of the first things that jumps to your mind about Italian soccer? Hard... Defensive tactical play. They yeah. give you nothing. One of the toughest league in the world to play in, particularly mm-hmm. for strikers. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've named all of these strikers that have been successful and have scored uh, boatloads of goals. Um, this and We just went back to, what, like the 90s or so. Yeah. But one of the premier, 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 yeah, strikers of mm-hmm. his time in, uh, in Serie A history, even still to this day. Uh, way back into the 50s, shortly after the the Second World War. Different time for... Soccer was a different time. Different sort of yeah era than it is now. And, and, you know, imagine that you coming to Italy, right? You're coming to Italy from a different country. You don't speak Italian. You move your family there. And... Uh, after a short period of time, you've proven the people, the club, that you are really good. And then you extend your contract to become one of the greatest or greatest top scorers of all time at a club like Milan. Yeah. To play for Milan for seven years, eight seasons, to end up scoring total, to play total of 257 games and score 210 goals which is the record of all time in Milan. And he's the, one of the legends, a Swedish guy. They moved there 1949 with his family. His name is Gunnar Nudal. He is one of the players that changed the game. One of the first foreign players in Syria that became big. He brought his... Friends, Gunnar Gren and Nils Lidholm, and they made the trio Grenoli. They won this, the Italian league after like what was it, several years yeah. without any trophy. Coming to Milan, coming to Milan, they brought it the trophies. And his impact in Milan and Syria is still felt today, being the third highest 
ever goal scorer in Serie A and the highest scoring foreigner in Serie A, even today. We do this occasionally where we go back, pay tribute to one of the legends of the game. So it is very intriguing that this is a player moved from Sweden 1950s and became a world known the best player of all time. So what's the best way we fought to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we fought to ourselves, right? What is the best way uh, to find more information about Gunnar? Like, is it uh, research? Is it uh, YouTube? Is All it of that Wikipedia? Is good. All you know of that I mean? is good. All of that is good, right? Absolutely. But what is the best way to really do it? To me, one of the best ways to do it is through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So... Unfortunately, Gunnar has passed away uh, over 20 years ago, but his legacy lives on in a great fashion through his son, Thomas. Thomas. Thomas Nordahl. And what better way than to talk about a legend of the game, yeah. a legend for AC Milan yeah. in Syria, yeah. than with his own flesh and blood, right? That's, I think, is the best way, right? And Thomas himself had also a good soccer career. And he played for clubs like Urbro and Anderlecht. So we are right now here on Oz Cartoon King Soccer Podcast Show. Call Thomas and talk to him about his dad and his own career. Hej Thomas, det var Öser här. Hur mår du? Hej, bra. Um, om du är redo så kan vi börja snacka lite grann. Ja då, jag är redo. Okej, okay, men då så. Jag försöker med problem, vi uppskattar så väldigt mycket att du är med oss. I have Kerry next to me. Hello Thomas, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Good to have you on the show, Ozcatch and King Soccer Podcast Show. Real excited to have you on. Okay, it's, it's the first time I'm in the show in the States. Ah, <laughs> excellent. It's always the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always the first time, yeah. Um, the reason we wanted to talk to you is that your dad, Gunnar Nordahl, I think his story should be talked about in English as well. We have international in- listener base, so we want to talk to about him and his greatness and what he ha- achieved in soccer and football. And my first um, curiosity and question is, back then, how did he manage to go to a club like AC Milan? How did AC Milan contact him? How did that entire process work? Uh, it's worked at um, the Italian football clubs has uh, people looking at uh, the Olympics in London, 48. And uh, Sweden managed to, to get the, the gold medal there. They, they won the final against Yugoslavia with 3-1. to one. Mm. Uh, And uh, uh, Milan has had uh, bad uh, seasons for, for a long time, uh, for a long time, for many years. And they, they, they was looking for, for, for uh, some good players in the Scandinavian area. Uh, 
they had uh, eyes open for Danish and Swedish uh, football player and uh, uh, 49 in, in January they came to, to Norrköping where my father was playing and, yeah. and uh, they offered him uh, a contract my, my father was an amateur so he was a fireman in, in Norrköping <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned it that uh, he was an amateur at the time and Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Swedish national team at that time was mostly just strictly amateur, for more or less. Yeah, it was strictly amateur. So when he when he signed for Milan, he was disqualified for for the the Swedish national team for for a long time. Oh really? Do you know if yeah? Do you know if he was and, and if that was? It was first that uh, fifty eight they that uh, they allowed professionals players to to. Uh, be part of the Swedish national team. Do you know if that was troubling for him at all to give up playing for his country, but to pursue what would be a great career professionally? Do you know if that was difficult at all? Uh, it was difficult because he was the first one in Sweden. So, so many people didn't like that uh, you can earn money for for your talent in, in sports. Mm. So he, he had uh, a lot of people who said uh, he was silly he went with me i was only three years old with a little boy to italy and italy wasn't so good scene for for swedish eyes because they they had uh, participated in the uh, second world war and uh, they, they was not so so popular at the time yeah i was actually thinking about it i read a couple of articles and most of them refer this time as post-war time, you know, he Gunnar Nuda went to Milan 1949. And uh, can you explain a little bit, or do you know about what soccer meant to in Italy or Gunnar's, uh, you know, impact on the soccer scene? Yeah, we, we can say that uh, I, I'm, I myself is. I'm brought up in Italy. I went to Italian school, and so, so I have an Italian education. And I, I usually, when I'm around talking about uh, this time and talking about soccer, I usually say the Italian. You, you have the family first, the church second, and the football is the third. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, during the fifties and the sixties, I think that. Uh, uh, the, the football went to the second place instead of the church. <laughs> Family football uh, and, and the church. Uh, they, they said in Italy, it was, football was uh, the, the people's, uh, what to say, the people's sugar. They, they, they were working Monday to Saturday, working very hard to, to build up the, the country again uh, after the war, and on Sunday, they get to football to, to relax and mm. enjoy and uh, have their favorite. They, they called it uh, the, the poor man's theater. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, let's talk about Milan. And lately Milan, I don't know if you still follow the club, but uh, lately they have been for the last several years going through a transition period from the greats uh, of you know Kaká, Maldini, Shevchenko, Baresi, all the way back to your father's time, they've been going through a bit of a, a dry spell. We can say that uh, I I am often in Italy. I'm actually I'm going down in two weeks to see Milan Inter, and uh, mm, when, when Mr. Berlusconi was there and Mr. Bright, I was 
often invited uh, down there and uh, Berlusconi and Braida, the, the little the older people, they said Milan had had three great periods after the Second World uh, War, and it was the Grenoli time right, yeah. during the fifties, during the fifties, uh, and then they they had uh, the Dutch time mm-hmm. right. with from Basten uh, and uh, Hulit and Reika, and then they also have Shevchenko and uh, Kaka. Yes. That, that's the, the three big uh, big periods and of course you have a lot of good players and marvelous players not only this I mentioned you have Baresi, you have Maldini you, you have a lot of great players but, but uh, the, 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 during the 50s you should know that Milan won two Latin Cups was uh, the same as uh, the European Cup or the Champions League today uh, and they won two times the, the championship right. they haven't uh, won it for 30 or 40 years before you know so when your dad came and uh, the impact he had in the league and in the team it was basically a little bit the beginning of get this superstar or at least get a name for foreign players I, I believe there weren't that many foreign players in Syria right. then no no, it was not a lot of European players, but they had a lot of South American players. Okay. You know? Italy is, uh, they say the Argentina is half the people True. is Italian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uruguay and <laughs> also also that. So they had many players who uh, come from South America, and uh, you you must know that Italy was world champions two times during the thirties. Yeah. <laughs> Before the war, they, they were very, very good, and in that team there were some, yeah, what do you call it, Italy, so Italy, America, so Italy, South America. Right. <laughs> they call it the, the Italian name is Oriundi, Oriundi. which which means that the, the 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 players could be born in South America, but if they had uh, parents who was Italian, they could, uh, yeah, they they could play for the Italian team. You mentioned the the Grenoli. Um, yeah. I mean, today I know Neymar's just left, but you had not too long ago Neymar, Messi, Suarez as a big trio. You have Ronaldo, Bale, Benzema as a big trio for Real yeah. Madrid. Grenoli was like that for Italy yeah, for Milan at the yeah. time, wasn't it? Could you describe that yeah, you, Swedish you, yeah, partnership? Yeah, they, they were like that, and you, you must think that my father won the won the, uh, the what do you call it the score top scorer, yeah. Yeah, I've scored five times in Italy, and wow. he made about 230 goals in, in Syria. Uh, so, so he had the record for one season until last year when Higuain uh, met yeah. him with with one goal. <laughs> I believe he still is the uh, your father still is the highest third highest scorer overall in Syria. Yeah, yeah. And highest and scoring he, foreigner. He has, he has uh, <laughs> the best. Uh, percent plus what do you call it percent uh, yeah percentage yeah percentage yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. so because Totti uh, passed him last year but he had uh, doubles uh, as many games double right? of games right yeah. <laughs> so uh, why can you explain a little bit why yeah he was uh, he was very very quick very fast the first 15 meters mm. And he could uh, shoot with both left and uh, right foot, 
and he was very very strong physically. He was a big man, right? Yeah, I was I'm not not so big. Okay. 182, 183, mm. uh, and but he, he was uh, he has like Maradona, you know. His weight was very low. Okay, like, I see. What they call it? Center of gravity uh, was low. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so he was very quick and uh, he did, doesn't hesitate in the in the goal area. He, he just shot, 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 and it was very very good there. Talking about you for just a little bit, I know <laughs> talking about your father a lot, but you were an accomplished professional yourself. And yeah, I, I, I was bought from, actually I was bought from Juventus, I was bought uh, 1968 by Juventus, but right. uh, we, come, we come down, I and another player called Roger Bangerson, who was in Marseille mm -hmm. uh, later on, but we couldn't play in Italy because the Italian Football Federation had stopped for foreign players, so they lend uh, they lend me out to Anderlecht in Brussels mm. uh, and Roger to Marseille in, in France, uh, and uh, it was a stop for foreign players in Italy because they didn't uh, uh, very well. 62 in Chile and uh, 66 in England, they wasn't there, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they. Uh, their thought was that they must uh, let the Italian players come come forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so they did that. Um, what happened out of it? I mean, for us, that's not the right thing to do, right? Sorry? I mean, what kind of came out of it then? You know, they banned foreign play players. And did yeah, they actually they the Italian out, team get came, better? Yeah, they, they, yeah, the Italian team get better. The, the foreign was in Italy, were playing at that time in Italy, they, they were allowed to stay, mm -hmm. but they, they couldn't come new players I in, see. Okay. and uh, uh, the big clubs, normally, the big clubs had foreign players in the very important position, uh, in the uh, center half, we call it center half, or in the defense, in the middle, they have midfield players, and they have uh, forwards who scored a lot of goals. Normally, there was foreign players in the big clubs. So, so uh, their thought was that these all these foreign players stop the talent, the Italian talents from from coming oh, coming forward. That's quite the contrast to nowadays when you yeah, we've yeah. talked about this story, but we've had. I mean, you look at England, Italy. There are a ton of yeah, yeah. foreigners all yeah, over the place. I, I saw. I saw a game. I saw a game some years ago when I was working for the Swedish television. I saw a game uh, uh, some years ago in Milan, Inter against Chelsea. Ah. Inter against Chelsea. Uh -huh. And in Inter, there was no Italian player. <laughs> wow, and in really? Chelsea, it was three Italians. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, so uh, time has changed a lot. And... Uh, I think it's right that time changes. Everybody mm. should be allowed to, to, to work where they where want. I agree. I agree. Yeah, times is changing and so do we. So when you kind of look back at your childhood and, uh, you know, when you played soccer, football at early age, you know, when I look at some of the stars today, right, you have... Uh, even in Italy. Even in Italy, you have Diego Simeone's son playing in Italy. Zinedine Zidane's son playing, and Clovert's son is making it in Ajax. 
and you can't stop comparing them to their dads, right? And uh, how was it for that's, you? That's a difficult, that's a difficult situation, you know, because when you play bad, they say he's only there because his name. Yeah. yeah. And when you play, in, you play very good, they say he should have played a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> so. So, so it's very difficult, especially when you are in the beginning of your career, when you are 16, 17 or 18, because you are not mature uh, uh, 100% in your thoughts and in your thinking, you know, so right. it's very difficult because uh, uh, you are very, it's very easy to, to hurt you, if, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, totally. So, how did it work? So how, how was it for you? I, th I think it, it's, not an, it's not an advantage to, to, to have. A, uh, yeah. it's, it's an advantage in the way that you have seen a lot of football. Yeah. You have been in the ambiance, yeah. uh, you call it uh, so. But you are also more open for critical, critical uh, voices uh, from uh, outside. Mm. Mm. Uh, you went to the nineteen seventy World Cup. Is that correct? You're part of that yeah, Swedish squad. I, I played World Cup seventy in in Mexico. Yeah. And what was that? Just experience, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a big experience. It's a big experience. So so, uh, I, I am what you call it uh, in Sweden a great. Uh, we call it stool grab, which means great, great boy. That that uh, means that you have made a a, 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 a certain number of uh, national national games, and you have uh, yeah, it's it's a point system, and when you reach some points in that, you are you are called a great great guy in uh, Swedish football. In Swedish football. And I, with Anderlecht, it was very nice because we played the NWFA Cup final against Arsenal. Right. That, that was very, very big. But <laughs> I, I must tell you one, another thing who can be very interesting for for your public is uh, I had a, a big offer, 67, mm -hmm. from the States, from Detroit. Oh, is that right? <laughs> I actually didn't know. <laughs> yeah, from, from Detroit. But... but, but uh, at the same time, uh, Juventus was uh, was there, so, yeah. so I, I prefer Juventus. Hard so to turn I them gave, down. I, I gave my contract to another player who called Lars Heinemann. You can see that in, in your books. Lars Heinemann. Lars Heinemann. So so he went he went over and he, and played for two years, I think, in the state. But and then I had also when I returned to Sweden, uh, 72, uh, 73, 74, I had an offer from Cosmos. Oh, <laughs> big one there. <laughs> yeah, from Cosmos. From Cosmos. So, so uh, I just had a telephone call and the man from there who phone me if I was interested but at that time I had just coming home from from my, my professional uh, time in Belgium mm. so mm. I've started a new life in Sweden yes of course who knows what could have been but around um let's see was it in between your Juventus period and after your um Andalek period you were at Orebro yeah, and I was in Urbro. Woo, I, my I, hometown I, I, Ozer is from yeah, Orebro and he's old town 
I was there. I almost made uh, 300 games. In wow, the, amazing! The, the Legend, first division, man. Uh, and I scored uh, 111 goals. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and, uh, and I made uh, 17 national play uh, games mm. in, 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 and uh, in the youth, in the national youth, also t 10 or 12 or something like that. Ozer talks about Orobro to me all the time, and Ozer talks about Orobro to me all the time, his hometown. And since you've played there for so many, so many games, could yeah. you describe describe the city to me? Describe what's it mean to you? Orobro means a lot for me. It's it's the club who uh, actually created me because I, I was coming from a little town called Degerfors, uh, fifty kilometers from. Uh, 50-60 kilometers from Örebro uh, and uh, in Örebro I make my studies uh, and uh, I had to do my military service here and I have a, a great coach called Orvar Bermark mm. Orvar Bermark who uh, yeah, he, he learned me up can you say <laughs> he learned me up last question I have for you I don't know if Oz yeah. has anything else but um, uh you look at Swedish players like your father, all of the Grand Ole, Nils Lidholm, Gunnar Gren. Of course, yeah. you've had recent years Latan and Henrik Larsson, Freddie Youngberg. Yeah. There's some good talent on the national team now, Emil Forsberg and uh, uh, John Gudetti. Do you think there, Sweden is close to producing another, another talent like like Ibra or like your father or Nils Liedholm to star in a club like AC Milan or Inter Milan or Juventus? No, we can say, my opinion, I've been working for the Swedish television for 15 years and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm called a so-called so football expert. I, I think that uh, Sweden for the moment has... Uh, has difficulties in producing very very good players if we go back 10 10 years ago we had uh, eight ten players who was yeah. playing in the big leagues in europe in, in, in the big League. clubs uh, and uh, we can say well, that we have we had about six seven that we could consider european top players yeah? mm. you you mentioned henrik larsson you mentioned dalin you mentioned a lot of mm. ten uh, and, and so on. For, for, yeah for the moment I, I must say the last three or four years we have only had one top player top mm. top player and it was slatan ibrahimovic yeah uh, then we had nothing then we had nothing and then we have uh, a lot of players who who was on the bench in the Europe's clubs or, or was playing in minor, minor teams, you, right. you know. Uh, at my father's time, 58, uh, they come second in the World Cup in Sweden. They won the Olympic. The, then at that time, we were uh, nearer the European top than we are today. Right. You, you understand what I mean? We was closer. Right. To, 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 to the European top that we are naturally it's depending about after the war uh, and evaluation and everything like that uh, but it was closer and even on the, my time on the, the 17s the, the first uh, the, the lot 60s and the 70s we was closer 
to, to the European top clubs. Mm. But of, after the Bosman sentence and everything, the difference because the big clubs and the big leagues and the small leagues has uh, been bigger and bigger, greater mm. and greater. For the moment, I see we have one talent, we have one big talent, and it is Forsberg in Leipzig. Mm. He has uh, uh, the step, he has a quick. He is quick, has good technique, and he also make uh, some goals. So he is uh, the nearest European top level we we, we have today. He's really good, man. He and yeah. he will play and soon natural, too. Naturally, every every season the soccer supporter hope that Slatan Slatan can come back, but Slatan has uh, already had his peak yeah. if you understand what I mean he is 35 he's a difficult injury uh, so so we hope that he can come back and, and finish his career in a, in a good shape but, but uh, his big 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 time is over I think uh, Thomas I've been to Italy a few times and I went to um, the the Milan Inter derby a couple years back and yeah. it's very clear you when you when you open up the Gazeta dello Sport then it's like Slatan on the first page yeah. but there's also that discussion sometimes about Gunnar Nudal or Slatan who's the biggest yeah, we, 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 we can say that that uh, at the time um, uh, I, I'm not talking uh, for my father but he he was uh, as big as Slatan during the fifties. As Lata was today, uh, but but uh, of course now you have the television, you yeah. have uh, a lot of channels, you, you have uh, soccer special <laughs> newspaper and everything. You know that uh, you talk about Milan Inter and uh, when Milan Inter played it during the fifties, Grenoli against Inter with Nakas Kuglot. Mm. There was a train getting from Stockholm with eight nine hundred persons. Traveling two days, <laughs> two nights <laughs> to go to go and see the derby. You can, compare, you can compare that today when you take. I take a, a flight and I I, I am at Balpensa Milano in two hours. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so uh, it's it's very difficult to compare players from different time. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The, I often have the question who is the biggest player who is the best right right and I say I say Slatan is certainly perhaps number one all time yeah I, I see but I, I usually say it, it, it's, it's not so bad to be second <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. My father. but uh, <laughs> you shall compare the players with the players at the same time uh, do you sometimes do go you to understand, you understand what I mean yeah yeah totally how, how can how could you compare Pelé with Slatan or yeah. Pelé with Messi or so? And how can you judge Beckenbauer, Rivera? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's yeah. Impossible. Yeah. But you, one thing is sure: you can say they were among the five, six best at that period. Yeah. And these, these are the best. Now you can say it certainly with 100% security. The best players during this decade, that's this period, is Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing what uh, they do for the game too. I mean, the yeah. uh, the importance for the game and it's 
own development too. Um, now I have a question for you. Tell how me. Is, uh, how is the, the, the soccer in the USA? Is it? Uh, Thank you for keep the well, interest. It's very interesting, Kerry. Oh, I'll, let you, yes. I'll, I'll let you answer, <laughs> man. We just uh, we follow Atlanta United a lot, and they had yeah. seventy thousand people on a game, and it was a MLS record. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's really booming. I know that, yes. It was only is I it, think Real Madrid. An, uh, is it an American public or is it a mixed public? You, you know. You do get you do get a good mix, but luckily I think more and more of the Pacific American public is is really okay. taking to it. But you still get a lot of like Latin Americans, of course, that bring their stuff to the game and whatnot. We, but. we, have, uh, we have had uh, some uh, uh, college player here in Urubro also. Now we have ones who's p- playing in the defense. In the defense. It's not mm-hmm. so bad. Mm. Uh, it's not so bad. So, so Brandon Himes. Yeah. Uh, I think I've heard of him, yeah. actually. I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'd like and to... Then s- we had, we had Alejandro Bedoya. Uh, yes, Bedoya was, but Bedoya, yeah. 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 Nance, for and now he's yeah. back in the MLS. So, yeah. yeah, I'm pleased to say it's growing here. I can't wait for uh, Sweden and the U.S. to play each other. <laughs> we talk uh, about that. <laughs> we hope so. I hope so too. You, 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 uh, you must tell me to come to Atlanta and see a game. Oh, yes. you know it. Yes, you know it. We, we have, we're happy to have you here. Really happy. Yeah. Um, it's something amazing to experience, and thank you so much for being on Us Coaching Kings Hockey Podcast Show. Thank you so uh, much. And you know what it is to get tonight is Champions League evening. Indeed. So, so I'm putting on the television now. I will see uh, Moscow against uh, Manchester United. Oh, we're gonna watch Dortmund against Real Madrid. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can what you say I I change every five minutes. So do we. So do we. <laughs> <laughs> so do we. So do we. Thank it you. Was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. I just and have to uh, say one thing. One thing. Um, yeah. I remember this was many many years ago, Tomas. Uh, I just yeah. want to say many many years ago. I think I played against your son or grandson. He played at Sturehov. And yes, it's, it's true. He's, he's 50 now. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the little one. It's the little one. Yeah, yeah. it's the little yeah, one. Yeah. And I re- he, became a, he became a father some months ago. Oh, so tell him congrats yeah. and so from, from it's, us. It's, it's more difficult to have a time for exercising now. True, <laughs> true. But I remember, I remember you were at the stand, you know, watching our game. And, uh, you know, obviously we, I knew there was you, Tomas. So we were all of us, you know, excited that maybe we can get discovered or something you know he has contacts and stuff like that but you know now you send you send me your name and your address uh, yes. by, by, by mail or something okay so if i come to the state i will uh, give you a call absolutely Please do, do. It. yeah and good luck thank you, you so much thank you Thomas. again thank you so much bye bye We're really appreciating that uh, Thomas Nudal took his time to be a part of our show. And next week we will have Pia Sundhage on our show as a guest. Yeah. She's the ex-coach of both US women's soccer team and Sweden's. And uh, she has a long career. And I just, I know that, you know, when she was young, 
women's soccer was illegal. It was not allowed to be played. And the women's soccer has been having a great amount of growth. So don't miss out on the episode next week with Pia as a guest. Real pleasure to have Thomas on the show. Fantastic interview, charming guy, fun talk, and really enlightening sort of talk, I think, where he he shed light on the circumstances of the uh, 50s, the 60s, the 70s even, how it's very different from soccer nowadays, yet similar in some ways, particularly how no matter the time period, no matter who you are or where you are from, no matter if it was the 50s or if it was 2017, there clearly was the same level of passion for soccer, for football, the sport, whatever you want to call it, back then that there is now. There still is the same sort of impact that sports as a whole has had on people's lives back then as there is now with the likes of post-war Italy really looking to soccer for comfort and Gunnar Nordahl pursuing his dreams for the love of the sport and even when so many people criticized him or put pressure on him or scrutinized him he followed his dreams and went abroad and became one of the best players ever for AC Milan all due to his passion for the game. And I can understand that Gunnar Nuda was criticized for leaving Sweden to to do his dream and to pursue his happiness playing football and get money for it, right? I mean, we all have been there, haven't we? Being kids and dreaming about coming to a big club and conquer the world, basically. And there are millions and millions of people in United States that are not just only dreaming about becoming a football player, they're becoming a educated man, be healthy, be with their loved ones, and be respected for who they are. There are so many systematically injustice going on. And knowing that is happening is a time for conversation and dialogue that we all can collaborate in peace. How? That's the question. How? And I believe instead of dividing what sports is and what sports means, we should take a look at how sports is. I go to the soccer field and I have friends from all over the world. We don't ask each other of our sexual orientation, we don't look at or each other's skin or color or what education we have or how much money we make. We are out there, we are friends, we're collaborating, we're having fun, we're losing and we're winning, but we do it together. It's magical what sports does to you. It's magical what it does to its community. And I think instead of trying to divide it, Let's take it as an example how we can create more love and respect for each other because that's the fair play. Thank you for listening to Oz Coaching Kings Soccer Podcast Show. Later, dude. See you, man.